the 110-year anniversary of a, of a catastrophic tragedy in the, in the United States and in the world. On April 15, 1912, the Titanic sank on its maiden voyage after striking an iceberg, killing more than 1,500 people. The luxury liner Titanic left Southampton, England on April 10, 1912 for its first trip across the Atlantic Ocean. The ship was part of the White Star Line. It was the largest and most luxurious ship of its time. It was considered unsinkable, and it was able to withstand flooding to four of its 16 watertight compartments. But on the night of April 14th, the ship's crew was warned about ice in the vicinity of its route southeast of Newfoundland, but Captain Edward J. Smith decided not to slow down. Actually, the Titanic ignored six different warnings before the collision. On a dark, moonless night, the crew, which had lost its binoculars, was unable to spot an iceberg in its path until it was too late. Desperate attempts to steer the ship around the iceberg failed at 11.40 p.m. The ship's hull scraped up against the ice, causing six of its compartments to take on water. Ironically, had the crew not turned the ship and instead traveled straight into the iceberg, the ship may have been saved as fewer compartments would have been damaged. At midnight, Captain Smith ordered his crew to prepare the lifeboats, and the Titanic contained only 20 lifeboats. With a combined capacity of 1,178 for the more than 2,200 passengers, this was due to outdated government safety regulations, which required only 16 lifeboats for a boat of Titanic size. The evacuation effort was hampered by several factors. Many passengers didn't initially realize the danger they were in, and they were reluctant to leave a luxurious ship for a rowboat in the middle of the North Atlantic. Additionally, many third-class passengers were unable to reach the lifeboats due to a maze of passages and locked gates below the deck. The first few lifeboats were released. They were not even filled, preventing hundreds of people from being saved. Shortly after 2 a.m., the boat sunk under the water. The stern was raised up into the air. The passengers who remained on the board, on board uh, desperately tried to climb on to the stern. Or they decided to jump over and swim for a lifeboat. The ship soon broke into two sections and sank less than three hours after hitting the iceberg. More than 1,500 passengers drowned, most suffering from hypothermia after just minutes in 28-degree water. The 705 survivors were rescued at about 4 a.m. by the liner Carpathia, which had heard the Titanic's distress call. The Titanic was supposed to be unsinkable, indestructible. But a thought hit me, no one and nothing is unsinkable or indestructible. And I want you to turn with me to a story in the Old Testament where an ancient biblical city also felt unsinkable and indestructible. Ezekiel 27 verse 1, it says, Then this message came to me from the Lord, Son of man, sing a funeral song for Tyre. Tyre is a city. That mighty gateway to the sea, the trading center of the world. Give Tyre this message from the sovereign Lord. You boasted, O Tyre, my beauty is perfect. 
You extended your boundaries into the sea. Your builders made your beauty perfect. Verse 33, it says, the, uh, the merchandise you traded satisfied the desires of many nations. Kings at the end of the earth were enriched by your trade. Now you are a wrecked ship, broken at the bottom of the sea. All your merchandise and crew have gone down with you. Tyre was a very successful city. They were the seaport. They, they provided the avenue to all of the local nations. And here they are at the bottom of the sea. This morning, this afternoon, I should say, still not used to that. My title is Beware of Success. I think we're all aiming to be successful. I don't think if I said, does anybody here not want to be successful today? I don't think a lot of people are like, that's me, man. I'm shooting to be totally unsuccessful. I don't want to make anything of my life. I hope I go down as one of the great failures in the city of liberty. But beware of success. You see, God wanted his Old Testament prophet named Ezekiel to preach a message of judgment to the city of Tyre. Tyre was an island just offshore. The original city had two harbors, one on the south and one on the north side of the island. It was these two harbors that enabled them to gain maritime prominence that it did. The harbor on the north side of the island was one of the best harbors on the eastern end of the Mediterranean. They became wealthy, rich, famous in the Old Testament. But here God speaks to his prophet Ezekiel and he says, I want you to sing them a funeral song. Like, okay, I mean... That doesn't sound like a, a good thing I want to be a part of. They're booming. They're famous. They're rich. And you want me to sing a funeral song to them? But God goes on and he says, you boasted, O Tyre. My beauty is perfect. That in itself can cause problems with God because he says pride comes before a fall. Right? And if we think ourselves to be something when we're nothing, we, we deceive ourselves. And so, but they were really into themselves. And Tyre was now destined for that same destruction and same, same fall that, that, that we find in verse 34. He says, now you're a wrecked ship, broken at the bottom of the sea. All your merchandise and crew have gone down with you. And God purposely chooses a visual picture that they would understand because they understood maritime trade. They understood that prominence that came with having seaports. And he says, yeah, let, let me paint a picture for you. You're on the bottom of the sea. For those entire, the very thing that brought them success and riches was being a place where ships came and went. And now that same thing, God says, you're shipwrecked. You have lost everything to the very thing that brought you success. That's a big line because I'm wondering, here we are in May of 2022, and is it possible that there are still people who are in danger of losing everything to the very thing that has allowed us to taste success? God gives Ezekiel a message specifically to the king of the city of Tyre. And he says in 28.1, he says, Then the message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, give the prince of Tyre this message from the sovereign Lord. Is your great pride you claim, in your great pride you claim, I am God. I sit on a divine throne in the heart of the sea. 
But you are only a man and not a God, though you boast that you are a God. You regard yourself as, as wiser than Daniel. Think there's no secret hidden from you. With your wisdom and understanding, you've amassed great wealth, gold and silver for your treasuries. Yes, your wisdom has made you very rich. Your riches have made you very proud. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says, because you think you're as wise as a God. I will now... Bring against you a foreign army, the terror of nations. They will draw their swords against you, your marvelous wisdom, and defile your splendor. They will bring you down to the pit, and you will die in the heart of the sea, pierced with many wounds. Man, that would have been... Imagine being an Old Testament prophet, and you had to go around giving these messages to people. You're not exactly famous or loved. He says, you're going to die in the sea. Similar to Titanic, the very thing that brought blessing, excitement, riches, ended up being the source of their destruction. You see, we also saw God warn the children of Israel, his chosen people, about some of these same things when you, when you go back earlier when Moses led them out of Egypt. Deuteronomy 6 begins with one of the most famous passages in Jewish culture to this day. To this day, if you ever had the pleasure to travel to Israel. If you're here, we have a lot of new people here. <laughs> Chad and I got to go to Israel, and we just have this ongoing joke that we just, we want to we tell people as much as we can. Matter of fact, I had a gentleman come and work on a garage door at my, my, new, my new house. And he says he's from Israel. And I'm like, you are? Man, we went to Capernaum. We went to this and all these biblical cities I started naming. He's just staring at me. And I'm like, what? And I said, I pastor a church and we, and we yeah. And, and, and he's like, I've never heard of any of those cities. And I was like, what? It took me a minute. And then I realized that when you go into the old city of Jerusalem, there is a Christian side and there is a Muslim and Arab side. Like, and I'm like, you know what? I don't think he's probably from the Christian side. <laughs> it took me a second, but it dawned on me. And, and so he was not really with me on the whole biblical cities list that I was throwing out at him. And uh, yes. But me and Chad did eat lunch on the Arab side, on the Muslim side. I mean, that's, you know, that, you know, we enjoyed our time there. Um, but this is... One of the most famous, you will still hear people in Jewish culture say this. Deuteronomy 6, 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. This is the Shema. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Observant Jews consider the Shema the most important part of the prayer service in Jerusalem. It's twice daily. It's a they recite this as a mitzvah or a, or a religious commandment. It is traditional for Jews to say the Shema as their last words. For, for parents, they teach this to their children when they rise up, sit down, go by the gate. He, so they explain all this in Scripture. And so in doing so, though, they, they, they obeyed this next part in verse 7. It says you need to diligently teach this to your children. Do it when they wake up. Go by the way. Sit down to eat. You shall bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write 
write them upon the post of that house. And I get it. God was passionate about his people passing this message on. That's why today we're very, we're, we, we embrace the fact that we are one God. People are believing the oneness of God, that God, even Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is God manifest in flesh. Since the beginning of the book, the, it says, hey, I want you to know this. I am one God. And so they did that and to this day that they still do this. They still say the Shema. You hear them and they'll re recite it. But here's the thing. They got that down really well and they instilled that in their children. But they forgot to instill the next part of the passage just as passionately. Because you know where it goes from there? Many of us have heard the Shema. We've heard about teaching it to the, diligently to your children. But the very next part, verse 10, says, and it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land, which he swore unto thy fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not. I'm going to give you some that you don't necessarily deserve. And houses full of good things, which thou fillest not. Wells dig, which thou diggest not. Vineyards and olives trees that you did not plant. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, beware, verse 12, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. God is telling them, and I believe us, I'm going to bless you with things that you don't necessarily deserve. You didn't plant those things. You didn't build those things. But yet I am capable of giving you things you don't deserve because I'm God. I can pour out my blessing on you. But when I do, you better be real careful that you don't start to look around going, I filled this. Look at what I planted. I got this. I earned this. I with the work of my hand. And so he tells them, he says, don't forget. And God gives them this exact writing. Again, two chapters later, verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 10, he says, When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Even when we stop and say, I look at my kids, hey, did we pray for that meal? And sometimes they're like, <laughs> because even stopping to say, Lord, thank you for the meal we're about to eat. Because how many of us, food, for the large majority that are blessed to be sitting here today, food is second nature. Many people, many, I'm not, I understand, there are people that struggle, but many people are not struggling to pay for a meal. And we grab that meal, and we just start eating, and man, this is a good chicken, good steak. And we, and, and, and I think we need to stop and go, Lord, thank you, God. For providing the food that I'm about to consume right now. Thank you. But he says, God says two chapters later, he says, beware. That's a pretty, that's a pretty loaded word. Beware. And he says it again. He says, beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God. How can I forget God? Notice he's not talking to people that are struggling here. He's saying when you have the houses and they're filled and you got the food and you got the land and you got all the things you want, just beware that you don't forget me. 
Last, uh, verse 12, when thou hast eaten and art full, hast, and you have built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, these are all signs of blessing, and thy silver and thy gold are multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up and forget the Lord thy God. He says almost the same thing within the course of two chapters. He wanted his people to get this, to not just understand I'm one God, but to understand that by serving me that one God, I am going to richly bless your life. But you better be careful because when the blessings come, I don't want you to just remember I'm one God. I want you to remember that I'm the one who has the blessings for you. It is not you. Our lives, as blessed, as, as, as good or bad as your life is right now, it, it's one phone call. It's one doctor appointment. It's one accident. Our lives are not in our hands. And so he wanted them to know. It's Don't forget where. And notice he references Egypt, what I brought you out of. Hey, all this stuff, blah, 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 blah. But don't forget what I brought you out of. Yes, but all this stuff. But don't forget what I brought you out of. He wanted them to look out for icebergs ahead. But look what happened within just years later. Judges 8.34 records just one verse that we can just kind of glance over. But it's very telling. And the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God, who had delivered them out of the hands of all their enemies on every side. He warned them over and over and over again, don't forget about me. I'm bringing you to a promised land. I'm going to give you the, the, the livestock, the gold and silver. All the things are going to be there. But please remember me. Don't forget about me. And in their pride, in the midst of a good land and all the blessings, they forgot about God. They, they forgot about what he did for them and what he brought them out of. And it's interesting today as we celebrate graduates and their accomplishments, God also warned Joshua and the Israelites. He said, stay in the word. Walk with me. Don't forget about me. We just, we just sat and read it. And all through scripture, we see God wanting to bless his people. But always reminding them, don't forget about me. Walk with me. Stay with me. Remember, he said that if they did this, I'll always be with you. I'm not going to leave you. But we, he, he never leaves us. But sometimes we leave him. And look at the result of them forgetting God. Hosea 5 and verse 5 says, And the pride of Israel doth testify to his face. Therefore shall Israel and Ephraim fall in their iniquity. Judah also shall fall with them. They shall go with their flocks and with their herds to seek the Lord, but they shall not find him. He hath withdrawn himself from them. I don't ever want to get to the place where God has withdrawn himself from me. I don't ever want to get to the place where I call on the name of Jesus and I'm expecting to feel what I've always felt in church. And I expect to go to an altar and, and just experience what I've always experienced in an altar and, and sing my song of praise and expect to experience what I always feel and experience when I sing my song of praise. But then to leave and say, well, no, I can go do whatever I want to do. And I just know he'll always be there. But just like the Lord told Cain in Genesis after he killed his brother Abel, he says, you will be hid from my presence 
And we find that once again that God still removes his presence from those who refuse to humble themselves and instead live in pride. You know, I often stand in this pulpit and I will preach to the hurting, to the broken, to the struggling, to the addicted. And we preach, our, our vision is experience hope, offer hope. And I always want to preach hope. Even when God convicts us, it needs to end with hope. Because as long as God's in it, we always have hope. And so I stand here often and I will try to preach to that person who's hurting, broken, struggling, addicted. But today... It might be different because in those messages, we have a lot of us that are sitting here going, those poor people, oh, I feel bad for them. I hope they hear the word. God can do it for you. That's definitely not me. But today, I'm not talking to just the struggling, the hurting, the addicted, the broken. Today, I'm speaking to the city of Tyre. Liberty's a beautiful area. Some of the greatest schools in the United States of America. This would be considered a middle to upper class area. I'm preaching to a people who many of you fit that bill. You might say, well, I'm not upper class. But the amount of money you make, the home that you live in, the lifestyle that you have is in the upper tier of anyone in the world. I'm preaching to people who might be sitting here today going, where are you going with this? who seem to be surrounded with blessing on every side. I'm speaking to the children of God who live in beautiful houses, in a good land, who don't really need anything, who had a good meal today and you're full, who as soon as I can, you're sitting there going, as soon as this guy shuts up, where are we going to lunch? And you're going to drive down a road that's got like 50 restaurants if you want to choose the chain restaurants. Or you can try about 25 minutes and go to the best barbecue in the world. Okay? But my point is, many of you, this service can wrap up and you can choose to go wherever you want and have whatever meal you want. You didn't carry in any burdens or anxieties into this place today. Maybe you just... I just referenced you graduated, completed a great program. You're doing great things with your life already. Speaking to the person who seems to be blessed in every part of their life. Those of you who are happy right now and just seem to have it all together. Today's message is for you. Chances are I'm going to be preaching to somebody else, the hurting and the broken, the addicted. The, we're we're going to... I'm sure we'll get there at some point. I preach a lot of hope in this pulpit. But today I'm preaching to Tyre, the person, the people, the family. And you say, man, I'm blessed. I got this. But God says, just remember, when you've eaten and you're filled, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the land he's given you. Yeah, well, I could tell you I got a lot of things wrong. Yeah, it's a lot about what we focus on. But at the end of the day, in spite of whatever challenges you're facing today, you are some of the most blessed. I am some, we are some of the most blessed people on the planet Earth. And God says, this is the time to be careful. 
Beware that in your plenty, you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commandments, his regulations, decrees that I'm giving you. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and your herds have, well, I ain't got no flocks, understand the context that is the blessing of the Lord upon you. And your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, meaning it's not just a couple things, like your life is blessed. Be careful. It seems like a weird word. Can you show that Deuteronomy 8, 13? Uh, you list out these things, and then you go, oh, yeah, in and, and, and verse 13, he says, and, and all that thou has multiplied. And I just read New Living Translation. It says, and be careful. I mean, we're talking about blessings and flocks and gold and silver. What do you mean, be careful? This is great. My dreams are being accomplished right in front of my eyes. I mean, this is wonderful. Be careful. Yeah, but what do you mean? Things are good. I ain't got no problems. Health is good. Kids are good. Marriage is good. Got the home, got the job, got the promotion, got this. Life is great. Be careful. Don't become proud at the time and forget God. Who rescued you from slavery out of Egypt. Meaning, don't forget what he called you out of. For some of you, maybe you're a third generation, a fourth generation. I'll tell you. You know why? The first generation people typically bring in the most people to church. Because they still remember what it was like to be delivered. I wish that was different. But just look around. It's the people that say, I will never forget what it was like to live in Egypt. And for some of us, I, I was raised in a home where my dad, he, he, I was a little boy when he came in and came into church and God changed his life. So I, I, I have lived one of the most blessed lives of anyone you'll ever meet. Certainly, I had to make my own decisions and things, and I've gone through some stuff for sure. But I'm blessed. But the people that have lived in Egypt... Those are the ones that can say, oh, I'll never forget what it was like. And I will always thank God for what he brought me out of. There's nothing wrong with not carrying in problems and anxiety. We don't have to feel bad. They're like, man, I wish I had more problems. He's, I mean, he's kind of getting on to me today. I guess I would. I, I guess we'll cancel our plans to Texas Roadhouse today. I, I don't, I, I, maybe, I don't know. I, I, no, that's not, it's not the case. There's nothing wrong with that. He does not say. As a matter of fact, God is saying, I, I want to bless you. I'm going to bless you. Just don't forget. At some point, this generation will be dead and gone, and this generation will be leading the church. And you'll be in a beautiful facility right off the highway. And people will come and say, wow, you guys have a great location. This is amazing. All this. And you guys got to say, we just will never forget 
a generation that sacrificed for this. A God who blessed, a God who opened this door, and that story, that narrative needs to live on through your generation. Because it's never been about, oh yes, we had great leadership, we had great singers, we just had a ton of money in the church. We had the, we don't have, we, uh, we, we don't really have any of that, okay? We're all a group of people who are loving and serving God. And God, for some reason, do you know how many people have come to this church from other places in the world? One man recently visited with his family, and he said, the only thing I can say is in spending time with you and with your church, he says is this, y'all are some of the most blessed people. You can just see God's hand of blessing upon everything that goes on at Refuge Church. And I heard that, and it's so humbling, because to me, you don't earn that. You don't, we, oh yes, well we did this or we did that and we're qualified because we went here and we sacrificed this. No, no, no. The reason we are blessed is one reason. God Almighty has chosen to bless us. And so today, just remember this warning from God. Beware of success. Success is not bad. It's not against the will of God. Just beware. Look out for the icebergs in your life that, that you think, oh, I'm unsinkable. Ain't nothing going to take me down. I'm indestructible. Don't get so happy with who you are and all you've worked for and, and where you live that you forget what God called you out of, delivered you from, or kept you from. My dad came into church when I was like five, six years old out of a drug and alcohol lifestyle, carried mug shots from being arrested. Statistics would show if he doesn't bring the family in, I'm going to be carrying around mug shots or maybe not. I will be taking mug shots over and over again. And I know we, we, we chuckle about that, but no, that's, that's the life that, that we live. And so for me, it's not just, oh, I, well, yes, you've lived a very privileged life, a very, <laughs> which believe you me, you can talk to my mom. She still has her own cleaning business. We were never rich, but we were blessed. And so today I stand here not going, oh, I'm so thankful what he brought me out of, what he delivered me from. No, my mine more is, I thank you, God, for what you kept me from. I thank you, God, that I can stand in an apostolic church as a pastor and say, I have never in my life ever, not one time, been drunk. Not a single time in my life. I have never been drunk. I'm thankful coming from a father that grew up, that was an alcoholic, to say I, he had a son who can stand at 41 years old and say, I have never been drunk. That is quite a, a, a change in the household. That's quite a shift in direction. But, so I stand here and say, God, thank you for what you kept me from. So what am I saying? Tyre, you're blessed. But you know, Tyre, their story was, they weren't, we don't, there's not, they weren't destined for that. 
If Tyre would have said, no, 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 I am done. I am repenting. I am finished. I am, rep- I am ch- turning my direction. God would have honored them. Just beware, church. A promotion, hear me. A promotion is always harder on your character than a demotion. You might disagree with that. That's fine. But a promotion is always harder on your character than a demotion. Because success is, sedu- success is seductive. The level of battle always rises to the level of promotion. That's why I have seen, even in the kingdom of God, some men and women who have been elevated very fast. The scripture says, lay, no hands, lay hands on no man suddenly. That does not mean, like, run up to the altar and scare them. You know, like, you walk up and you're like, boo! And they're like, oh, I just broke scripture. That's not what that's talking about. That means that don't elevate someone so fast that's young in faith. Because there are some things that need to be developed. And so you don't want to, that the laying on of hands was, a, was an impartation in ministry. And I don't want to do that too quickly because there has to be some things that develop. Lest someone gets elevated and they go, <laughs> that's why I've heard people say, yes, I preached a crusade and I had thousands get the Holy Ghost. I had this many people healed. Hold it. You're a conduit. He's the one that did that. And when people talk like that, they will never stand in this pulpit and preach because I will never bring someone into this pulpit that starts talking about what they did and I did this. You did nothing except for God used you. And so we have to be careful in our blessing to know. Yeah, I've worked hard, of course. Oh, yes, absolutely. I've gone to school. Graduates, they went to school. Education's wonderful. Don't take me wrong and say, I'm quitting school, I'm quitting work, and I'm going to let God bless me. You just took that way out of context. I'm all for work hard, do everything wholeheartedly as unto the Lord, educate yourself. I always wanted to be able to say, I just got interviewed for a podcast a couple weeks ago about my book, and I said this, I said, I always wanted to say, God, I have done everything in my power to prepare myself. And now you have to open the doors and do the rest. I never wanted God to to, to be desiring to use me, but I haven't equipped myself for that next phase. So I know I'm going to do everything I can to equip myself, but knowing, God, you're the only one that elevates, sits down, opens doors. It's totally up to you, God. And so, if we're not careful, and I'm almost done, we can easily fall into the trap of being self-sufficient. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a hard worker. I, I'm educated. I did this. I, I, I learned what I have. No worries. I got this under control. We won't fail. We won't falter. That would never happen to me. I can figure this out. Just, just, just be careful. Have you got it together today? Great. It's wonderful.
that's great. I mean, that'd be really hard to pastor 165 needy people that don't have anything together. You're happy, you're content. Things are great, things are wonderful. Praise God. I just hope that I'll serve him just as hard if I lose everything tomorrow. And I pray it won't take that for him to get my attention. Just don't ever get so content and happy with your blessings, your house, your food, your money, that you forget that it is God who has blessed you and provided for you. It is God who has called you out of land of sin. He has promised land for you. You see, in the Bible says this, in our weakness, he is strong. And some of us have believed the lie so long that we can never be weak. We must always be strong. Well, if we never realize we're weak, he may never get to show his strength. There's sometimes, there's nothing wrong with saying, God, man, I'm feeling weak right now. I'm weak in myself. I don't, I don't have the answers here. I'm not sure what to do. I desperately need the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to step into my situation right now. God, you're the strength. You bring strength that I, I, I told people when I started pastoring, I used to say, God, give me wisdom beyond my years. And then I went into counseling sessions and situations where I realized, and I would call elders and they'd be like, oh, I've been pastoring 45 years, never dealt with nothing like that. And I'm like, great. I'm 28 years old here. I'm like, God, did you make a mistake? You, you do know you called a 28-year-old to a pastor. I don't have the answers to this stuff. And I realized I changed my prayer and started praying, God, give me wisdom when I step into situations like this. Give me wisdom beyond my humanity. Because I could say beyond my years, but there's certain things that you're going to deal with that you talk to somebody 93 years old that's lived a full life and been in ministry their whole life, and they still, they don't even have an answer for certain things. And so I know that when someone says, Pastor, can I talk to you? Can I meet with you? They are looking not just to bounce something off me, typically. They're saying, I want to hear from God for my life. And I wish that every time I walked into a room, I was like, I know what this is about. It's about this, 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 and this is what you need to do. That'd be awesome. There's times that I walk in and someone will be talking in the middle of their statement. In my head, I'm going, Lord, I don't have a clue what to say right now. But God, I've, I've got to hear from you for this person right now. And I'm telling you, I can't tell you, my wife and I could tell you stories where we all of a sudden, the presence of the power of God starts to come into that room because some of the most powerful counseling sessions I've ever been a part of is not when I pulled back to this class that I took in my master's program and this book that I was reading. And even though I did equip myself for these moments, but the most powerful moments is when I'm standing there and my knees are knocking together because somebody has such a situation that is so big and so desperate and so destitute and so so scary and I'm going oh, I don't even know what to tell them Lord God heal me and right in the middle of that counseling session all of a sudden God gives me a thought 
and I start to speak that thought with the authority and power of God. And people start to cry, and I start to cry because we feel the presence and power of God. And we start to pray in an office, and God starts to do things in an office because not because, man, I'm a great counselor. I'm very educated. I have a lot of experience. No, it was because I realized in that moment I have no answers for this person, but you are the God of their situation. And if you will begin to speak to me right now, you can begin to use this vessel who is simply a conduit for you to reach into this life. It is not about me and it never has been about me. But if I will sit there and give you a vessel that is willing to hear your voice and speak the things you say with love and compassion that God you can begin to do something for this person right now church it's okay to have both God and blessing today the key is this which one do you want more what do you want more God or blessing the rich young ruler walked away sad because he said, go and sell all you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. He could not do it because he loved the lavish lifestyle and the blessing more than God. The beauty is when you serve God with all you have, you're going to be blessed. It might not be blessed all exactly how you think on this life. But I'm also not going to say the old mentality of, well, if you serve God, you've got to be poor. That's not, that's not what I read in Scripture. But what I read is that men and women of God that say, no matter where you take me, no matter how blessed I am, I'm going to choose to be blessed. I'm going to choose to be content. I'm going to choose to elevate you in my life in all things, in all situations. And when promotion comes, and when the, when the call comes, when the raise comes, when the, the, the house comes and the blessings come, I want to always step back and not just say, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and teach it to my children. But I want my kids to know that, listen, don't ever forget that God's the one that gave us this vehicle. God's the one that washed away our sins. God's the one that gave us our house. God's the one that gave us this church. God's the one that built that building. God's the one that filled people with his spirit. God's the one that used your ministry to fill someone with the spirit to provide healing. Just don't forget that it's God. Would you stand to your feet, church? If I could throw one last challenge to you today as you leave, as you beware of success, never lose your ability to lay face down before the Lord. I don't only want to lay face down before the Lord when all of a sudden my marriage is in trouble. I don't only want to lay face down before the Lord when I find out my son has diabetes. I don't only want to lay face down before the Lord when I find out there's a financial hardship or a bad doctor report or, or things aren't going the way I think that they should go. And then I go, oh God, let me get face down before the Lord. I want to be able to lay face down before the Lord when I'm eating good food, living in a nice house, driving a nice car, that the doctor says you got a clean bill of health, the kids are living for God, I got the raise, I got the promotion. I want to still be on my face and Lord saying, God, I just humble myself in your presence once again because you are so good to me you are so good to my family you are so good to our church in both a season of blessing and a season of despair beware of success look out for icebergs guard yourself against self-sufficiency and I think it'd be wise for a, a, a body of believers men and women to begin to find a place to pray in this sanctuary people who are blessed people who 
maybe aren't even worried about anything right now. People that would find a place and say, God, help me right now to not think it's about me and my hard work and my education and my sacrifice. Yes, I, just the, even the fact I have education, you open the door for it. Even the fact I have a job, you open the door for it. God, and so I thank you. I know that your hand is in my life in all things.